We are over in Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. Ephesians chapter 6. We covered the first nine verses last week, looking at the different relationships uh, beside the husband and wife that he covered in chapter 5. And now we're going to pick up on in verse 10. So here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His, His might. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This word, finally, my brethren, is actually taken from a phrase which means in conclusion or summation. Now, if you go over to Rick Renner's notes on this, he puts it uh, this way, that is used in other manuscripts of the same period to depict something extremely important that is placed at the very end of the letter. This way, if the reader remembers nothing else in the letter, he will be more likely to remember this one. So of all the things that Paul has taught in this epistle, this is the one he so much, is, so much wants everyone to focus on. Now think of some of the things that he's taught on in this letter. The election of the saints was over in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. The predestination of work of the God. The adoption of sons. The dispensation of the fullness of times. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. The earnest of the Holy Spirit. The power of God that is available to every believer. The grace of God in chapter 2. The eternal plan of God in chapter 3. The fivefold ministry gifts in chapter 4. The infilling of the Holy Spirit in chapter 5. Submission, as you round out chapter 5. Relationships in the beginning of chapter 6. And he says, of all those things, <laughs> if you forget everything else, remember this one. <laughs> so I would say this is pretty important stuff to remember. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So I put this note in your outline. Spiritual warfare is of utmost importance. Spiritual warfare is of utmost importance. All the knowledge of the Word of God you possess is of no use if you don't know how to combat the enemy. Because the enemy can undermine the Word of God. We saw in the parable of the sower how he comes against the Word, how he first off tries to steal it, then he tries to scorch it, then he, he gets on in there and he, if he can't do any of that, then he'll choke it out with the cares of this life and, and so forth. So he's coming against the Word of God in you. You've got to know how to defend yourself against the enemy. If you can't fend off the enemy, how are you going to make the Word of God work for you? Because what he is coming after is the Word in you. If he neutralizes the Word of God in you, all, the, the, nothing else matters. If he can neutralize the Word of God in you, you have nothing to pass on to other people. Nothing. Because the Word has been neutralized. And he neutralizes in all kinds of ways. My wife and I were talking with a person of late. And I'll tell you what, the way that the, Satan had neutralized the Word of God, no one you know. <laughs> Don't try and figure it out. Isn't anyone that you, anyone here knows at all. Just someone else we just met off the street. Really, with someone else we just met off the street. <laughs> and we're, we're talking with them about some spiritual things and some spirit, spiritual principles and and um, I'll tell you what, the, word, the, the, the enemy had worked and neutralized the Word of God in this person. They were still a believer. They were still a Christian. But the Word of God had been neutralized in them. And out of the words of this person's mouth were things like, well, I believe, and then would spout off something that was not founded on the Word of God. What happens? Neutralized. 
Well, I don't think God will do that. Well, you know, it's been my experience. <laughs> Neutralized. It, it makes no difference what your experience is. Your experience does not change the Word of God. It does not. The Word of God is true. Your experience is a lie. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God. How many of y'all know we've experienced some things that are different from what the Word of God promises and what the Word of God says? Well, that doesn't mean that our experience nullifies the Word of God. It means, well, something didn't quite work right. Go back and do that again. He's out to try and neutralize the Word of God in us. If He can neutralize the Word, you're powerless. And you're of no effect. The Word He says here, be strong in the Lord. The word be strong is the Greek word endunamo. Now, you can probably recognize some of the words in that, can't you? Dunamis is in there. And N, it means, it's a compound word. It's inherent power that is deposited into a container or vessel. Now, we've heard things about dunamo before, dunamos. Dunamos, dunamo, just two different forms of the you know, verbs and nouns and so forth. But the word dunamos, we know we get dynamite and things like that from it. But people, when they were writing this, when they made this word up, they didn't have explosive power. They were not talking about things that explode. They talked about things, inherent power. That there was an inherent power of a thing. And they named dynamite, of course, after this, because dynamite has inherent power. Yes, it explodes. But that's not the focus of it. The focus of it is the dynamite itself. There is inherent power in it. And when it uses this word, it's talking about us having inherent power. But inherent power that is deposited into a container or vessel. That's why the word N is put in front of it. Power that is deposited into some type of container, vessel, or other form of receptacle. The very nature of the word means that there, are, that there necessarily must be some type of receiver for this power to be adopted into or deposited into. There must be a receiver for this power to be put into. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord. So this is power that is deposited into a container or into a vessel. And you're that vessel. Be strong in the Lord. This describes a power whose purpose is to infuse a believer. To infuse a believer with excessive dose of inward strength. An excessive dose of inward strength. How many could use an excessive dose? Of inward strength. Glory to God. That's what he's done. Be strong in the Lord. Well, God is the giver. We are the receivers. We're the receptacles of that power. That power is put into us. Be strong in the Lord. Another way to put this is be infused with supernatural strength and ability. Be infused with supernatural strength and ability. Now, it says here, be strong. It's our decision. I can decide not to be strong. Right? If he says, be strong, well, I can decide to operate in that strength. I can decide not to operate in that strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. If it was all up to God, He wouldn't be making this, this verse in His way. Be strong. He's telling them to be strong in the Lord. If it was just automatic because you were born again that you were strong in the Lord, then there's no reason to put this thing. But again, finally, my brethren. In other words, above all things, remember this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This is something, there's something only you've got to do. You've got to stand. You've got to be strong 
in the Lord and in the power of His might. All those other things aren't going to help you out a whole lot if you're not strong in the Lord. If you don't decide to stay strong in the Lord. Now, be strong in the Lord. We've covered this before. This is locative of sphere. That's the, the, the type of case that he uses here. It means that the strength is locked in the sphere of in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord means you must be in the Lord in order to be strong. Not talking about being strong on your own. Not talking about being strong anyplace else. Be strong in the Lord. It's locative of sphere. And that could be, we don't really have a case like that that I know of anyway in the English. But uh, what that would mean is you must be in the Lord in order for this to take, take effect. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Power here is the word kratos, which means dominion, might, power, and strength. It is the word that is used when it talks about the power that was used to raise Jesus from the dead. Kratos. Be strong in the Lord and the power. Be strong in the Lord. Still talking about you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Might is the word iskus. It means forcefulness, ability, or might. It conveys the picture of a very, very strong man. Like picture a bodybuilder. You know, you, not me. I am not a bodybuilder. <laughs> but you know, other people. You know, they got big muscles, they're large chest and legs. and, and That's what you picture, you know, that type of a, of a person. Great muscular capacity. But he's relating this to God. As you can picture that with a man, picture that and, and understand that God is... Great in stature. Be strong in the Lord. In front. <laughs> oh my. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of His might. So there his, there's His power, His dominion, His might, His power, and His forcefulness. These are the things we are to be strong in. Be strong in in the Lord, and the power of His might. So that's how He just introduces this. This is what we need to do. Now, it goes on in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the goal here is to stand against the wiles of the, of the devil. That's the goal. We need you to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because if you can't stand against the wiles of the devil, everything else we taught you is going down. Now, before we get into the put on the whole armor of God, let's understand this, this, this uh, last part here. Wiles comes from the Greek word methodia. It means traveling over or trickery. We get our word method. Now, it's a compound word. It's a compound word of meta and adas. Now, meta is a preposition which means with. And the word adas is the word for road. Then that makes sense. Nope, not at all. Huh? When you put these two together, what it's actually saying is, it literally means with a road. Now it's all clear. With a road. Now, methods is a word we get from this, but that really doesn't convey the meaning of this word. This word is not just talking about methods. So, 
you, once you understand, you can understand where we get, why people would pull methods out of this. What it's talking about is a road. That what it's saying is, is, is using this word for the wiles of the devil, is he has mapped out a road of where he wants to go. He has located you. And he has located where he wants to go. And he has mapped out a road to get you there. He knows where he wants to get you. Now, generally, he wants to get most believers in the same place to doubt God. and to, It's not like he has a particular place he wants to take you. But where you are is different from where someone else is. But he has got a way. Once he locates where you are, we know how we're going to get you there. He has a way. He has a method, so to speak. But he actually has a road mapped out of how he is going to get you from where you are to here. He wants, first off, he wants to neutralize you. He wants to make it so that the Word of God in you is of no effect. He wants to neutralize you. So you're here. Right now, you're functional. Right now, your faith is doing something. Right now, the Word in you is having an effect and a positive one. We need to get you over here where the Word is having no effect. That's where we need to get you. Now, what do we have to do? All right. In order to get this person from here to here, you know, it's not Star Trek. There's no, there's no beam me up, Scotty. There's a process of getting from here to here. And he knows in order to get you from there to there, we've got to first get you to this point and then to this point and then to this point. So he is satisfied with small steps along the way. Because he knows where he wants to get you. And he's satisfied with the small step because he now has you move closer than you were before. But you don't see the road. He does. And so he'll settle, he'll settle for that. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not, I want to look at that last part there. We are not ignorant of his devices. Satan has certain ways that he works. It's not rocket science. He's been doing the same thing for a long time. And the Bible keeps writing about it. It wrote about it in, in the garden. It was the same strategy. It, we wrote about it later on with Israel. We wrote about it with Abraham, with Jacob, with, with how many others that went through the Old Testament. And they all went through the same kind of thing. He's got the same way. We've got to neutralize the Word of God in you. We've got to first off get you to doubt it. We've got to get you to compromise it. We've got to get you to not know it, not understand it. We get these things done, we got it done. We can bring in some human experience and taint the way that you're going to understand it. Well, did that ever work that way for you? Well, then it must not be right. If that person is talking about how that's worked for them, and it's never worked that way for you, then it must not be right. And we begin to doubt that this is it. Even though preacher after preacher after preacher can come to us and show us 20 people in the Word of God who did it that way, can show us 40 different passages in the Word of God that teach us to do it that way, we'll still sit in there and say, I tried it twice and it didn't work. Because we value our experience over what we see in the Word of God. These are the methods of Satan. The methods of Satan work against kingdom kids. They shouldn't, but they do. The reason that they shouldn't is, Paul says, we are not ignorant 
of his devices. We are not ignorant of the things that he uses against us. There are no surprise here. We know the kind of things that he brings to the table. You should know what he brings to the table. You should laugh at him when he brings them to the table. When he wants to get your experience, successful or unsuccessful, in operating in the Word of God, when he wants to bring that to light, you should just laugh at him and say, Satan, the Word of God is not true because of my experience. The Word of God is true because God said it. That's all there is to it. If you hang on to that, that device won't work against you. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Y'all know I enjoyed this, the Star Trek um, show that was on there. But as I've told you over and over, my favorite is The Next Generation. For me, they're just that, that was just head and shoulders above anything else that was ever written, ever made for TV, ever put on the screen, ever done, period. It was just phenomenal. Loved the writing, loved the things they did. And they had this one episode where these people were going around, they were gathering all these artifacts, these ancient Vulcan artifacts. And they found out that if they put them together, they were going to create this great weapon. And so they, they after a while, you know, they finally figured out, and, the, and Captain Picard... He got on this, the ship that was trying to gather them all up because he was going to try and undermine them from being on the ship. And so he got on the ship and they're figuring all out. And finally it dawned on him. He was looking at the different things that were on the, on the, on the um, artifacts they were finding. And he figured out what it was. And they were down in the cave and the people finally got all the things they needed and they activated the weapon. But he already knew what it was. And he quickly, his, his, uh, his shipmates, they came on in. They beamed into the cave. And he immediately called over to them and said, make sure to think peaceful thoughts. Don't think anything. Don't be, don't be hateful. Think peaceful thoughts. And they immediately just listened to their... You know, they were submitted. <laughs> they just sit there and question it. Okay, well, just put your weapons down. Just drop them. Don't do anything. And so they, they did that. Then, and they made it through just fine. The weapon had no effect on them because the only way the weapon could have an effect was if you helped it. It would take whatever anger, whatever animosity you had, it would magnify it and kill you. But he figured it all out. He's, if, if you're not ignorant of the devices, you can neutralize them. If you're not ignorant of Satan's devices, you can neutralize them. You can stop them. They have no effect on you. You don't have to fear them. But all you've got to do is not be ignorant of his devices. So we study the Word to learn about God and also to learn about what has the devil done? And how can I stand against that? What do I need to do to, to come against that? How do I fight? Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan wants to take advantage of us. He wants to get in and so say, let's get in there and let's take the Word of God that's in them. Let's make them useless. Let's neutralize their effectiveness. But we're not ignorant of his devices. He wants to compromise the Word of God. He wants to get us to believe that the Word of God works for other people, not for us. He wants us to believe that God does not have the best interest in mind. He wants us to believe that God has not given good and perfect gifts. If he can get us to believe these things, then we're neutralized. Well, Again, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not ignorant of the, basically, in the way that this, this word devices is used, we are not ignorant of the way Satan schemes. We are not ignorant of the way Satan thinks. 
who are not ignorant. I know how he thinks. I know how he schemes. If we know that, we can beat him. So basically, I put it this way in your outline. If you know the road the enemy takes to bring you down, you can stay off it. If you know the road the enemy wants to take you down, you can stay off it. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, this is the road. This is the road. I'm starting to doubt the Word of God. I'm starting to wonder if God has the best interest for me. I recognize this road. I don't want to be on this road. And we get off the road. If we get off the road, we stop it. So he goes on in verse 11 again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So how is it that we're able to stand against the wiles of the devil? Putting on the whole armor of God. So he says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't put on part of it. Put on the whole. He wouldn't have put the word whole in there if, he wasn't talking, if it wasn't possible to put on some of it. Some people want to put on some of the armor of God. No, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is what we wrestle against. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, now, he says, first off, it is put on the whole armor of God. And then he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but, and he begins to list what we do list, list on. Now, here's the problem that comes in sometimes with the armor, when we get into armor of God teaching. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, verse 12, for we wrestle not or before we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. If we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, then our armor is not flesh and blood. Our armor is spiritual. It is not flesh and blood. It is spiritual. I know I was in one church for a while. And they, they brought somebody in who was teaching on the armor of God. And this person, I'm sure he meant well. And I'm sure somehow it blessed him in whatever endeavor he was doing. Or maybe it just helped him sell books. I'm not sure what it was. But he got on up there and he said, Every morning I put on the armor of God. And I put on the helmet. And I put on the shoes. And he went through the whole thing. We, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He is taking a physical thing that we can see, we can understand, and relating it to it so we understand what's going on in the spiritual. But this is not it. This is something like it. I just use an example for you about Star Trek. We're not in a Star Trek thing. We are not battling Klingons and Romulans and so forth. We just use it as an example. That's all that it is. It's just an example. He, the, the armor of God that he's using is only an example. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Armor, the Roman armor that he uses is for flesh and blood. But he's taking spiritual things to relate them to something that you can tangibly see so that you can get a glimpse of what's going on in the spiritual battle. When he says put on the armor of God, there is no indication there that the armor comes off. 
When you put on the armor of God, folks, it should never come off because spiritually it doesn't have to. Physically, in the natural, flesh and blood, when you go to bed at night, you've got to take armor off. If you want to get a shower, you've got to take armor off. But in the spirit, no, it don't have to happen. When you get the helmet of salvation on, you leave it on. It's staying on. There's no reason at all to take helmet of salvation off. <laughs> it just doesn't need to go anywhere. And we're going to get into what the armor of God is, but do be careful about it. Because sometimes we want to take on, and I think Doug Jones was out here a, a number of times. He was teaching some stuff on, at least I think he was here, unless I heard him teaching on it somewhere else. But I think he came on up here and he was talking about it. If you, if you notice, Paul sometimes interchanges some of the Roman pieces. We'll go over that later on. He's not saying the shield of faith. Now look at the shield of faith then everything that a shield is is what faith is. He's not saying that. Because I think later on he called it the breastplate of faith. Calls the breastplate of righteousness in this passage. But later on in another passage he relates faith to another piece of armor. Because he's not marrying faith with the shield. He's not marrying righteousness with the breastplate. He's not marrying these pieces to each other. He's saying it's like this. That's all. Learn something from it. Get it and understand. When you see the Roman soldier, you don't identify the Roman soldier because he has a helmet. You identify the Roman soldier because he's got the helmet, breastplate, shield, sword, shoes, belt. And when, it, when you see the helmet, shoes, shield, sword, belt, all that sort of stuff all in there, you, that's a Roman soldier right there. I don't have to wonder what that is. I know that's a Roman soldier. I can see that. So he's saying in the same way, they should be able to recognize you. That's a Christian soldier right there. They got the salvation on. They got righteousness on. They got the word on. That's what they need to see. So that's more important that we understand. And, and I, I know it was Doug. I'm just trying to think if he was up here. He was virtually trying to get in there. And he said he's trying to study all the pieces of the Roman soldier until he finally got freed from that. Because he thought if I understood the pieces of the Roman soldier, I'd understand the armor better. No, understand what faith is. Not what a shield is. Understand what faith is and put that on. Understand what the Word of God is and put that on. Understand what righteousness is and put that on. But He's giving you as an example so that you can, you can visually see this. Put on the shield. Put on the helmet. Put on the sword. Put on the breastplate. Put on the shoes. Because all these pieces were in there. Each one had a function. A Roman soldier wasn't wearing stuff that didn't function. They wore stuff that helped them. They wore stuff that they used. And if you go down through the history, different soldiers had different pieces of equipment. If you go over to the Greeks and the ones before, and the, um, the Spartans, the Spartans had different shields than the Romans did. The Spartans had different swords than the Romans did. The Spartans had different spears. They, they were missing some parts that the Romans had. But they made up for it in how they used the other parts. Spartans were tough. How many of y'all remember studying those? those were, they were some tough dudes. They were tough guys. That's all they knew was war. They're professional warriors. They did other stuff, but they were a warrior. That was their occupation. In between battles, they would do other stuff. You know, they'd farm and they'd do other things, but they're looking for battles. And they, they did some tremendous things in battle. The Spartans did. Now, the rest of the Greeks were a lot weaker. As far as battles were concerned, that was the strongest of the tribes, of the groups. 
but they were they were all different. But their the whole idea was their armor worked together. Their armor accomplished the purposes for which their commanders had. How their shields locked together or didn't lock together. How they used their swords. How they used their spears. They all worked in tandem as a unit. And that's what God wants us to see. There's faith. There's righteousness. There's salvation. All these things have a play. Have a way to work together. First off, they are to be on. They are never to come off. Put them on. Never are we told to take them off. Why in the world would you do that? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We've got to put that sometimes up on our refrigerator and remind us about this every once in a while because too often we think we're wrestling against flesh and blood. We've got a problem at work with the boss and we begin to think flesh and blood. We've got a problem with the believer in church and we begin to think flesh and blood. We've got a problem at home. We begin to think Flesh and blood. It's really easy for us to begin to think flesh and blood too often, but he says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There's principalities. There's powers. There's rulers of the darkness of this age. There's spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he's given us some of the groups that we're out to fight against. These are the ones that are out against you. But they stir up the flesh and blood. It's much like when Jesus was on the, on the uh, boat and they woke him up because the waves were coming into the boat. And they're going to sink the boat. And Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind. Too often we're like the disciples were fighting the waves Jesus got up and rebuked the wind. When you rebuke the wind, what happens to the waves? He stopped. Flesh and blood in that example, again it's an example, but flesh and blood in that example is like the waves. The principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places are the wind. And the wind stirs up the waves against us. And we're too often like the disciples. We're bailing out the waves. But as soon as we bail out this wave, another wave comes in. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And that's what we have to keep our mind set on. We've learned that we can speak the things. But we've got to speak to, the, to these things and stop fighting the waves. Stop getting angry at people. I know people do some stuff. People do some dumb stuff. People do some things that you wonder, why do they do them? Why is that going on? Speak to the principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, Spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Well, how do you know what you're up against? Just ask God. God will show you what you're up against. Now, people look at this thing and see spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We see other places in the Word of God talks about high places. And people thought that in order to battle Satan, you had to get up in mountains and skyscrapers and top floors and battle from there. I'll take you again to the beginning of the verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
We do not have to get into high places to battle spiritual powers in high places. Because he said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Is His might covering that area up there? So I don't have to. It's not my might. It's not me that has to get there. He already is. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So as we go through these, we need to understand how are the pieces of the Christian armor to help us against the wiles of the devil. And so as we look at this, we're not necessarily going to be looking at shields and swords and so forth. Though that's what he's relating it to. What we've got to focus more on is faith, salvation, peace, righteousness. These are the things we need to focus on. How are these helping us to undo what Satan once done? How are these to do that? If, if it's just swords and shields and helmets and breastplates, well, we don't use those anymore. Helmets we still have. But we don't use swords. We don't use shields. I guess a breastplate is like a bulletproof vest. Maybe we still have that. Uh, the shoes have been replaced with boots. In the natural, it changes around, but in the spirit, it hasn't changed one bit because our enemy in the spirit is the same. Our enemy in flesh and blood changes, but our enemy in the spirit is still the same. We still fight the same one. We are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of the roads that he chooses. We're not ignorant of where he wants to take us. We know these things. And so when I get hold of what Paul is teaching us here, about righteousness, about salvation, about faith, about peace. When I understand these things and I put them on and they're, they're on me, they stay on me, they don't go anywhere, then I battle these things and I don't get on that road. As soon as I get on that road, my salvation kicks in. Hold on. My righteousness kicks in. Faith kicks in. Wait a minute, we're not in faith. We're, we're falling out. We're, we're getting away from faith over here. This isn't right. Wait a minute. Righteousness says this. Hold on. I've been saved. And if you get into the word for salvation, it's, you know, saved, healed. Brother Copeland's real good on that one. I'm saved. I'm healed. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. When Jesus was in the garden and they came at him, they came at him with swords and shields and spears. And what's he say? Whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. They all fall over. <laughs> Kratos, power. And then they all get up. Again, I said to you, who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. I already told you on him. Let these other go. He's not wrestling flesh and blood. When he gets before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he's, how do you not answer me? How do you not answer all these accusations? Don't you realize that I have the power to send you to death? You don't have any more power than what God has given you to do. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Jesus, the whole time, kept his eyes on the prize. We wrestle against principalities and powers, not against flesh and blood. So he's up there on the cross, and he says to, to God the Father, 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Rollers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. These are the things that are behind the stuff. Battle them. Speak to them. Uncover their plots. Now, sometimes we get into talking with some of these people that are just deceived. And we want to get in there. We want to argue with them. We want to wrestle with them. We want to shake some sense into them. Have you ever run into someone like that? Oh, man, you just want to... If you could just shake sense into them, but they want to hang on to some of the stuff, we've got to understand what Jesus did. When Jesus ran into people that were hard-hearted, they were hard... They just hardened themselves to hear. What do you do? Okay, you already know what's going on, so we'll go over here. He just walked away. He didn't need to tell them. I'm not fighting flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. Right now, you have rule over the principalities and powers that you've opened yourself up to. You can either tell them no, or you can keep on going. But you brought that into your own life. There are people that have hardened themselves against the things of God. Hardened themselves against... Christians who have hardened themselves against the things of God. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were thinking they were following after God. They weren't. They were hard. Israel, how many times were they hard to the things of God? How many times did the prophets come and talk to them and they're hard to the things of God. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We've got to stop wrestling so much against flesh and blood. It's frustrating us. And not, not helping us and not helping them. They're going to go the way that they're going to go. So let them see how you're going. You've got peace. You've got joy. You've got gladness. God's working some things with you. Taking your places. And they're going nowhere except frustrated. Eventually, they're going to come around. Hopefully. <laughs> they'll come around to, you know, what's going on with you? What, what is it that you have going on for you? How is it that you know these things? And they may ask you. And you have an opportunity to share. But up until then, they're going to harden them. They harden themselves to it. They're going to harden themselves to it. Go on. Jesus teaches his disciples. If you go into a town and they don't receive you, stay there until they do. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? Shake the dust off your feet and go on. Move on to another place. Well, all right. You don't want to accept it? We'll go over here. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Spiritual host wickedness in heavenly places. Don't fight the wrong opponent. Don't fight the wrong one. Fight the right one. Talk to God. So we're going to get into this finally part and look at what does he have to tell us in these other scriptures about spiritual warfare? Because apparently of all the things he's already taught us, this is real important. We're saving this one for the end. I've gotten through all that other elementary stuff. Now, this is the one. If you're only going to get one thing, this is what I need you to get. Don't, for, don't forget this one. There was a book that was ty- a book, uh, Forever Triumphant. It was uh, F.J. Hugel. I think I say his name right. He told a story that came out of World War II. General Jonathan Wainwright was captured by the Japanese and he was held prisoner at a Manchurian concentration camp, cruelly treated and became a broken, crushed, hopeless, starving man. Finally, the Japanese surrendered and the war ended. 
and a U.S. Army colonel went up to the camp to announce personally to the general that Japan had been defeated and that he was free and in command. After Wainwright heard the news, he returned to his quarters and was confronted by some guards who began to mistreat him as they had done in the past. Wainwright, however, with the news of the Allied victory still fresh in his mind, declared with authority, No, I am in command here. These are my orders. Hugo observed that from that moment on, General Wainwright was in control. He was in control. We've been given the victory, folks. And we're turning over the victory too often to another. And Paul says, of all the things I've taught you in this letter, this is, you've got to get this one down. You've got to know how to step into a place and be victorious and, be, and, and have the victory. The ways of Satan are simple. They're simple. It's not that he is an ignorant, stupid man. He has come up with a plan that generally works. But Jesus Christ has exposed the plan. He's exposed the road. He's shown us what the road looks like. He's shown us how the devil does this. And he says, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Stand up to it. If we begin to, to, to find ourselves becoming offended at people, what, did, what would that tell us? We're on the road. If we become depressed, what would that tell us? We're on the road. <laughs> if we become worry, worried and fretful, what would that tell us? I'm on the road. Not the road I'm supposed to be on. I don't want to be on this road. This isn't a good road. Get off the road. Being offended is a choice. Well, no, it's not. They did something. It's a choice. So what? They did something. Who cares? Go on. They don't matter. But I'm depressed. You don't know how bad life is. Oh, dear Lord, you lost perspective. Go back. Read about Paul. Read about David. Read about Jesus. How's your life stack up to that? People chasing you around, going from city to city, starting riots, taking you out, stoning you. No, it's not so bad then, is it? We lose perspective. We get to this thing, we get to, to feel like Elijah. I'm the only one. You're lucky to have me. And if you don't wise up, I'm out of here. You need me. God says, <laughs> i got 7,000 people ready to step in your shoes right now. You want me to go get one? Now look, get on out there and do this stuff. God doesn't have time for depression. Well, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this and I can't do that. Do what you can. Father God, what can I do now? What can I go try to now? Satan wants to get us focused on what we can't do, what we aren't able to do, what we're... This wants to get us down and depressed. Well, this isn't going right. This isn't going well. These are all wiles... These are all methods. These are all the roads that the devil uses. You are not ignorant of those roads. So what God has given us and what Paul points out here is to help us against these things. So over the next couple of weeks, we get into next week we won't be because we won't be here. But we're going to begin to take these things on and we want to take a look at identifying all 
that we can about the road that Satan has and how what he outlines as our armor is supposed to help us defend it. And if we understand this, if we walk in this, folks, we, can, we will never go down the road of depression. We will never go down the road of defeat. We'll never go down the road of offense. Never. We'll never go down the road of saying stuff that's hurtful. Saying stuff that's unbeneficial. We'll never go down the road of unforgiveness. We'll never go there because the armor of God is there to protect us and to keep us. Help you out. Glory to God for the armor of God. The armor of God is not tailored to a Roman's soldier's uniform. It's tailored to the enemy that you face. It's tailored to fight the enemy and the things that he does. And God has given us armor to battle that. The Romans crafted their armor, their swords, their shields, their helmet. They crafted them against the enemies that they face. And over the years of the Roman Empire, you'll notice that even their swords and their spears at times changed because the enemies changed. But God designed faith, righteousness, peace, all these different things. He designed them in such a way because the enemy is not changing. The enemy is doing the same thing that he's always done because it always has worked. For the most part, it has worked on most people. But God says it shouldn't. You've got the wherewithal to undo everything that He does. And it shouldn't pull you down. It doesn't have to pull you down at all. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us. We thank You for the armor of God that it has it's equipped us. It's made us ready. There is nothing the enemy can throw at us that You have not prepared us for. We will never have to go down his road. He may have mapped out a way to take us, but that doesn't mean we have to go that way. The word that is on the inside of us is going to flourish and will grow and will accomplish what you set it out to accomplish. It will be fruitful. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Before we go tonight, we want to pray over John. John is heading back to college. When you go back? What is that? The 30th. The 30th. you got more time. All right. Remember, pray over John here. He's, he actually, uh, they told me he was going back on Sunday and just the way the service went, we, I forgot. <laughs> didn't do, do that. So let's pray over John. Father God, we just thank you. A good year is ahead for John. I thank you, God, for, for the peace of God that will gu- be a guide to him every place that he goes. People all over campus will see John and say, wow, that man is just at peace. Oh, we just see, just sense the peace of God. They're just going to want to hang out around John because there's so much peace around him. And they can just feel the joy of the Lord whenever they get near. It's going to open up to questions that people are going to begin to ask. What's, it, what's going on inside of you? Why is it you're so different? What is it that just exudes from you? Oh, we just sense something so different. Father, I thank you for the Word of God that's in him and how you will bring that Word out. You will give him the words to speak to all these people. His life will be a testimony. His life will be a light. And though Washington area is a dark place at times, Father, I thank you for the lights like John that are in that place and will shine brightly. The Word of God that is in him is being sharpened. We know that the devil has devised 
things, tactics, means to try and pull him down. But not a single one will have any effect. Not a single one will be useful because of the Word of God in him. So, Father, we thank you for the changes that he'll do with the people that are around him. And I thank you that every course that he takes, he has the understanding of everything that he needs to know. That he will come through there with flying colors. In the name of